Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, and we're six and a half years into interviews with amazing people. And every week, we have an amazing guest who shares from their experience, shares from their knowledge base and their wisdom. And um, today, I'm really pleased to have Sharon Lecter. And Sharon Lecter has so many things I could tell you about her, we would never get to the interview. So I'm just gonna ask uh, Sharon to tell us a little bit about herself, herself and her passion. So Sharon, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, Hugh. I'm delighted to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity and I uh, welcome and congratulate everybody for being part of this. Amazing what you're doing. Thank you. So tell people a little bit about yourself and what is your, what is your passion for that? Well, I'll try and give the Cliff Notes version because obviously I've been around a long time. Um, I started my career as a CPA, but I had grown up in a lower middle class home very entrepreneurial home. I lived in a little small house between my mom's beauty shop and my dad's used car lot. We had orange groves and we had rental properties. I had to go scrub the bathrooms out. And I knew, I swore I'd never be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a sophisticated professional, which is what I became. And then about the ripe old age of 25, I looked around and said, if I'm going to be working this hard, I should be working for myself. And all of a sudden, my parents started looking a whole lot smarter. And so at 25, I started my entrepreneurial career, and I've never looked back. Um, started a woman's magazine, started the um, Talking Children's book, and grew that into a global brand, and then later built the Rich Dad brand with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and um, 14 other books in that series. And um, in 2007, I started my company, um, Pay Your Family First, and ended up being asked by President Bush and President Obama beyond the President's Advisory Council for Financial Literacy, which was a huge honor. And about, uh, we know what happened to the economy in 2008, the Napoleon Hill Foundation reached out to me and asked me to step in and help reinvigorate his teachings, which was a huge honor because um, I read Think and Grow Rich when I was 19. Probably didn't realize the impact it had on me until I was in my 30s. But so my last Four of my last five books have been in concert with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So it's a tremendous working relationship and just such an honor to work alongside them. And particularly when we are in the economic times we are right now. So my passion is really financial education. Since 1992, when our oldest son got into credit card debt in college, I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy and financial education. And I'm as passionate about that today as I was back then. But along the way, I also am very passionate about other organizations, like I was on the National Board for Women Presidents Organization, helping women presidents grow their businesses. I've been in, a, in excess of 20 years on the National Board for Child Health, which is a, the largest organization for the prevention and treatment of child abuse. Um, very involved in lots of different nonprofits from Cancer Society, Heart, Heart Association, but my primary focus is financial literacy. We have our own nonprofit called the Economic um, Empowerment Foundation. And one of the biggest joys I have is helping other nonprofits understand 
that they are a business. You know, we're, we're for-profit are there to make money for the shareholders. Non-for-profit are there to generate enough revenue to serve more people in the public. And, um, but the basic concepts are very similar. So I'm delighted to be with you today and to be able to share whatever I can to support people in during these times. I know for our, with child help, I just had a call yesterday. We've lost, you know, the opportunity with the, um, the stay at home orders. We lost in excess of a million dollars of planned budgeted fundraising because of events that had to be canceled. And so, all organizations are struggling and the issue is now nonprofits in particular are more important right now than ever. So it's so important to support them. Absolutely. And um, two of the people watching this interview are certified fundraisers, CFRE um, with the professional fundraising association. So they, uh, they're um, working with CenterVision to help me get smarter about that. And it, it is challenging times. And, you know, one of our guests uh, a year or so ago gave us a new title. We talk about for-profit businesses, but he said, you know, we're running a for-purpose organization. And I really, you know, we get hung up on this nonprofit word and we, we think scarcity when it was really abundance. And I, um, I came across Napoleon Hill's work probably 30 years ago and read the little book. And then I experienced Bob Proctor. You and I have presented it uh, an event at the same time, and Bob's been there, but Bob always has it in his hand. And then Greg Reed, our, our, our mutual friend Greg Reed, introduced me to Don Green, and um, the Napoleon Hill Foundation is in Virginia, not too far from me. And I got to go visit Don Green, he was on the show, and he sent me your book and some of the later published works. Napoleon Hill was a pretty profound figure, and I find in my work with uh, clergy, nonprofit leaders, educators, there's a whole lot of people that don't even know about Napoleon Hill and his work. So it's a, it's a whole paradigm of possibility thinking, excellence thinking, and value thinking, and really the principles of having, having a clear, definite purpose, having something that's good for the world, surrounding yourself with successful people, and the no-fail attitude. You know, those are those are positive, positive thinking things, positive leadership skills that everybody needs to know. Now, what what was your the the book that you published um, was a very interesting book, um, and I think they were afraid to publish it during Napoleon Hill's lifetime. It was called Outwitting the Devil, and you put some notes throughout the book. So, what was your inspiration to want to work on that book with uh, the foundation? Well. Yes, let's start with um, Thinking Grow Rich was published in 1937. And when it was published, Napoleon Hill was frustrated because it had been his life's work, 25 years of publishing this, this thesis of success. Because it wasn't one man's philosophy. He had the world open to him to all the wealth, the 500 wealthiest men, because women weren't in the business world back then, in the world. And he was able to interview all of them and, and draw the similarities. And that's where he came up with Think and Grow Rich, both laws of success initially, and then um, to Think and Grow Rich. And when he published it in 1937, he was frustrated because he says, even though people know what they're supposed to do, they don't do it. And in the, the very last chapter of Think and Grow Rich, he added was the six ghosts of fear, but he took it a step further. And in 1938, he wrote the book, um, out winning the devil. I just have to happen to have one right here because it's popular in my interviews. Um, and 
in just a few short months, he wrote it, and it talks about how fear cripples us. And the title scared his wife to death because she worked for the Presbyterian College. She was afraid she was going to get fired. So she forbid it to be published, and it was put in the vault. Now, he died in 1970. She died in 1984. Her sister died um, just about 10, 15 years ago. And that's when the foundation got the manuscript. And Don Green called me, and I had already written Three Feet from Gold with Greg Reed. And he said, the month that we released that, which was in 09, he called me and said, I have this manuscript, Sharon. I don't know what to do with it. So he sent it to me. And I went over to San Diego, which is where I do most of my writing, front of the ocean. And um, it was literally a manuscript on a handwritten typewriter with handwritten notes from Napoleon Hill throughout it. And it was just such an incredible experience. And to read it and to realize that it really was meant for today, not for 1938. It was meant for today. Now, I used to say it was meant for today in 2009. However, with what's happening in 2020, it really was meant for 2020. Because in it, he talks about the power of fear, fear of poverty, fear of ill health, fear of dying, fear of loss of love, right? And then it's an interrogation of the devil. And he says to the reader, you can think I'm talking about the real devil or a man-made imaginary devil, that negativity thinking. Um, it's up to you to derive if, whether you're going to derive any benefit from what I share. But it is such a powerful book. And it really, our whole goal was to try and do exactly what you just said. People didn't know who he was. They didn't know who Think, think and Grow Rich. And so we wanted to bring Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon's work to the younger audience. And it really, Thinking Three Feet from Gold was very successful, but Outwitting the Devil has really sparked and ignited that younger generation. It's a little in your face, it's a little irreverent, but it talks about how fear grips us. And in the book, he actually says, there's going to be a time when I'm gonna grab everybody through the fear of poverty and the fear of death. Well, what's been happening in the last four months? The fear of the virus, the fear of economic collapse, and the fear of being alone, isolation. And fear either paralyzes us or motivates us. And in this book, we want to you know, get, not get under the covers and hide away, but use the fear to motivate us to take action, to focus on what we want, focus on that definiteness of purpose, focus on who we're hanging out with, Focus on what it is we're doing to move forward, being proactive, not reactive. And so it's an exceptionally powerful book, and even more so today than ever, um, because it talks about, as humans, what we do to hold ourselves back. We create our own obstacles and how to blast through that and keep moving forward. As you reread those really important books, um, remember Jim Rohn used to say, if you have three books, here's the three, if you only had three books, here's the three books. Think and Grow Rich, um, James Allen, uh, As a Man Thinketh, and the Bible. He said there's a collection of wisdom there that is, you can read the rest of your life. Of course, he didn't know about your books and my books. So anyway. <laughs> so you, you um, there's a lot of um, universal truths in there. I don't care which culture you come from, which faith, there's some universal truths there. And I'm, I, besides those four tenets that, that he uh, talks about, the definiteness of purpose and is a lot in those, and as you as I reread them, as I listen to his radio broadcasts, and I read your book, um, and the the, the laws of success, um, there's a lot of things there that would be 
a kind of a mind reset, a transformation of our thinking for those of us that lead in charities. But, you know, the Think and Grow Rich, he lists the attributes of wealth somewhere in the book. What's there, 13 of them or something? And he says, money is the last one because it's the least important. You know, what do you take from that part of the book? Well, you know, the, the definition of success is not the number of dollars in your bank account. It's how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror and has nothing to do with your reflection. And so success, you know, Think and Grow Rich, it, the name itself causes a lot of people to push back because they think it's about just about money. And in it, some of his, you know, some of his terminology is think about how much money you want, when you want it, how you're going to get it. And so, you know, there is that aspect of it. When I wrote Thinking Girl Rich for Women, which I was asked to do after Outwitting the Devil, I talked about money and significance because the, I believe the underlying principle of Thinking Girl Rich is creating success and becoming significant in the lives of others and supporting them and finding their own success. And that's the essence of what Napoleon Hill wanted to do and what he was doing. And the, the wealth of his knowledge has been you know, borrowed and um, used by many other people who've written about success and money because it is the thesis. It was, you know, he says, this is the culmination of all these people that I researched. So it's like a doctoral thesis on success. But people see the title and they, and, and it's their own fear, their own scarcity mindset that they push away from it. And it's like, it's so sad because I don't, I, I don't believe we live in a world of scarcity. I believe we live in a world of abundance and um, never more important than today for us to find the opportunity. Because you know, I know we talk about the not-for-profit world on this show, but even for-profit businesses, I'd say the most successful businesses do have a purpose, a mission. They solve a problem or serve a need. And so if you're out there solving a problem and serving a need, you are going to make money, whether it's money for a service like a nonprofit or whether it's money for your shareholders. Focusing on your mission and your purpose instead of focusing on the money will, will steal you well. I tell people uh, building your strategy, your plan for your business is like building, creating a car. Learning to drive it is building your skill set, but money is like the gas that makes it go. And we, we do get this scarcity mindset. I think that's the biggest problem I see universally. And yes, there is abundance. So um, you go to San Diego, that's a, must be something in the air. There's a lot of really high energy there. Our colleague David Gruder, Greg Reed's there, David Corbin, David Stanley. I mean, there's just a, a whole lot of mega influencers down there. Is there must be some, some something in the air that attracts all those people down there. I guess it could be the weather too, could it? Well, I go, and it, it's not always San Diego, sometimes it's LA, but I go to the ocean so that I can see the sunsets. I turn off my phone, I turn off um, the, the email, and I just, I literally bury myself into writing for days at a time. And it, when I can look up, I see the ocean or the sunset, and it gives me the inspiration to keep going. And I've been to Hawaii a few times, but um, I live in Arizona, so San Diego is kind of the closest uh, ocean for me, so. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's maybe a little cooler than sometimes the year. So that the the different laws that the uh, laws of success, the um, you know the people have taken them hostage for their own personal gain. Like the law of attraction is really misinterpreted many times. That's really the you know, things have happened 
in my life that had no logical reason because I was very clear on the goal and very clear on my passion for it. And it really attracts like-minded people. And so I've seen that play out many times and I've been able to accomplish things that are greater than my ability. But the um, law of cause and effect, the law of reciprocity, how does, um, how does some of these laws help nonprofit leaders to really transform their thinking and instead of scarcity and the possibility thinking, abundant thinking, and how does it really impact those of us who are philanthropic in nature like you are? Well, I think what you just talked about, cause and effect, law of attraction, you know, Napoleon Hill, we've heard the, the movie and the book, The Secret, but <laughs> Napoleon Hill actually first wrote about it in 1916 or 1919 and the law of attraction, but he also talked about going the extra mile. So it's not just think good thoughts and good things are going to happen. He wants you to put the, you know, put a little effort into it as well. And I think for, whether it be a for-profit or a not, not-profit, that law of reciprocity, your donors are going to keep going and keep coming and keep donating if they see good works being accomplished, but they also feel good about being part of it. So there is that reciprocity of acknowledging them. Yes, sometimes you have anonymous donors, but most of them want to be, you know, they want to feel good about what they're doing. And so it's very important to have that reciprocity, even if it's not financial, just recognition, acknowledgement, communication is very important. A lot of times when I talk to nonprofits, they don't have a communication system. When they need money, they send out an ask. And I go, well, why don't you, you know, have a system where you're sharing your good works, things that you are accomplishing with the money they already gave you. And so they feel better for having supported you. You're communicating with them, letting them know what's happening, what you're doing, and they're more likely to say yes next time. So it's very important for people to understand it's not just a one-way street. Reciprocity is very important. You know, and yes, it is. So thank you for that. In 32 years of uh, doing work with, with charities of all kinds in several places in the world, um, there's never been one that hasn't brought up communication as the number one issue to deal with. It's sort of like everybody talks about it. Nobody does anything about it. And so to me, that, that's the tip of the iceberg. It's like leadership. Um, there's a relationship piece here, like money is a relationship piece here. So there's, there's building relationship that's, that's so important. Um, before we go on, where can people find your books? Are they on SharonLector.com? SharonLector.com. If you buy them through my website, then I will autograph them. You can also get them through Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's for women, Outwitting the Devil, Three Feet from Gold. We just came out with the 10th anniversary edition um, last fall, Success and Something Greater. Those are the four that I did with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And I have a new book coming out. I'll see if I have it over here. Um, in July with Inc. Magazine. And it is Exit Rich. So if you're interested in that, you can actually pre-order if you go to ExitRichBook.com. So. I'm not ready to exit yet. So, so uh, Lecter is L-E-C-H-T-E-R, and I will put it in the notes, and you've got a gift for people we'll, we'll share later on um, for those people who are paying attention, but we'll publish that link as well, so people ought to, even if they're not here today, um, this will be, this is the podcast that you get wherever you have, get your smartphone podcast, The Nonprofit Exchange, or you can go to The Nonprofit Exchange and view the video 
and listen to the audio on our website. By tomorrow, we'll have the transcription of this interview and all the really great sound bites. Um, so you've been a very um, successful business person helping other people. You're very, you're very giving. You've helped other people build their enterprise and not always benefiting you like, like it could have, but you also are very active in, in the world of nonpartisan charities. Why is that important to you to share your knowledge base and to be philanthropic with your time as well as your money? Well, it's actually, I think, sometimes a learned skill or it's an embed, embedded skill. I grew up in a home where my father would ask me each night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? And so I grew up in an environment where um, thinking of, of making contributions to others and supporting others. And he's been gone for 14 years, but I still ask myself that every night. You know, have I added value to someone's life today? And you know, we've created success in our lives. It's true. We are financially free. I could retire and stop. In fact, I almost did a few years ago because, um, as you know, Hugh, seven and a half years ago, I lost my youngest son. And it's um, really, it takes a lot of the oxygen out of your life. And I was kind of living in neutral, very numb for several years. And I know everybody watching and listening, they've probably had something in their life that stopped them in their tracks, whether it was death, divorce, a financial setback. And certainly the last few months, um, the world has put a lot of uh, crimps in people's lives, both being a fearful of their, of their health and their financial status. But we're still here. We're still here for a reason. And I got a lot of pushback when I thought about retiring about three years ago. And that's when I realized um, that I am still here for a reason and there's more for me to do. And I uh, launched something called the Play Big Movement, which is a private Facebook group that's open to everybody because I wanted to open my mind to the possibilities again and play a bigger game. And in doing so, I wanted to share what I was doing so other people could as well. And my greatest joy now is, is, is that one-on-one -on -one mentoring or um, providing opportunities. I have online courses that help people find the knowledge they need because it's not taught in schools on how to truly build a strong business, um, whether it be for-profit or not-for-profit. We have one of it, you know, it talks about the um, essential components of a successful business and that's this mission, team, leadership, and then um, you kind of mentioned it earlier, you, know, you have to have the legal side, the foundation, the available resources, relationships, communications, business system, and up here is the deliverable. Most people just focus on their product or service and they think, I got it, I'm going, all right? But you got to build that foundation around it so that it cannot just be successful, but sustainable, scalable, and saleable. Or scalable and, and have a larger impact. So the play big movement is being number one in your field, living your legacy every day with every heart you touch and creating maximum impact. And organizations that truly wanna grow and have maximum impact realize that they have to build the foundation and have the systems that will help them scale. And that's so important. Thank you for that. Um, what's the biggest challenge? Um, those are the fundamental skills and systems that leaders need to have. And you and I work with entrepreneurs that are early stage, and I work with all stage and nonprofits, and there's still this deficit of people not knowing what they don't know and not thinking of it as, I need to learn 
business skills. I need to have a plan. I need to have a financial plan. <laughs> but, you know, all of these components of a su successful business, you know, what's my unique value proposition? And what attracts money for the nonprofit is the impact or deliverable. What's the impact of our work? Are we really bringing value and changing people's lives? So we've had a setback here. And, and there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of pent up frustration, and there's a lot of concern that, that leaders don't know how to lead going forward. So what are a couple of things that leaders could, could think about and embrace? And if they go to SharonLector.com, I'm sure there's a place they can find your, your resources. But what's your advice uh, for leaders that are facing the dilemma? And you know, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. We're, we're talking, in June of 2020, people might hear this podcast much much later, but June 2020 is is kind of a pivot place. It could get a whole lot better. It could get a whole lot worse. So, how do leaders make a difference? Well, I think one of the things is um, you have to lead yourself before you can lead others. And as the head of your organization or as a leader within your organization, it's important because the people that are under you are looking to you for stability. And right now, there's not much stability in the world. And so um, I get frustrated when I hear people say, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, and that's what the topic that you, we titled this topic today, because I said, don't wait for the light at the end of the tunnel. Be the light. Be the beacon of light to help bring some optimism and opportunity to your world today. And as you become a beacon of light, you, other people will naturally draw to you. And so take a stand where we are today against this negativity, against the, the blowback, and be the positive, the person talking about the future and that if we come together, we can create a better and brighter future today, not at the end of the tunnel. Now, be a beacon of light around you today in your organization, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, and it will turn around a lot quicker. Absolutely. Um, you will entertain a couple of questions. Sure. All right. We have Bob Hopkins and we have Jeffrey Fulgham. They didn't know I was going to call on them, but um, they, they're not surprised that I am. So I uh, see that Bob's mic is open. Bob Hopkins is in Dallas, Texas. Um, Bob is a philanthropist. He's a nonprofit leader. He's an author of this, this wonderful book called Philanthropy Misunderstood. And he's, a, as you see, a, a, a fan of horses. That's not the one called philanthropy. That's many years ago. He's got a horse called philanthropy. So Bob, happy Tuesday. Do you have a comment or a question for Sharon Lecter? Yes, I'm enjoying this very much. Thank you a lot, Sharon. Uh, I happen to be in Arizona. I'm in Tucson, Arizona right now. And I well, you, am need, you need to go north a few hours to our, uh, our ranch in Young, Arizona. We have a few horses waiting for you. Okay. Check it out, cherrycreeklodge.com. Well, that sounds incredible. Uh, if I had some time, I'm leaving back, going back down to Dallas tomorrow. I'm in Tucson. I'm outside. I'm looking at the mountains. It's hot, but not too hot. I'm under shade. But anyway, enjoyed listening to what you had to say. I can't wait to uh, get a hold of some of your books. I'll tell you one of the things that um, I've been a nonprofit leader for a lot of years. And of course, um, I was hired to raise money. And that's what I did and do is raise money. But who, who knows how to manage it? And... Um, I certainly don't. I never did. I was not ever trained as a, a child to raise money. I just always had the money that I needed and I would go spend it and I didn't even pay any attention to it. So now I'm in head of a nonprofit organization. 
seems to be that's one of the least um, experienced things that people know how to do in the nonprofit sector is manage the money. We don't spend much money hiring people. Usually it's volunteers who um, come in and say, oh, I know how to do accounting. I can, I can do it. I was blessed to have somebody do it really well for a while. And then I've also been unblessed and had somebody, uh, you know, decide to take out of the pot and nobody seemed to care and nobody seemed to know until after I left the organization, they said, Bob, did you know that? And I didn't. So anyway, I need some advice. Um, where do I get information about nonprofit management? And is there a, and that means in finances, and is there a list of those people who have expertise in this uh, field, paid or unpaid, that would be volunteers in, in doing something like this, or a paid person doing something like this? Well, I think that's a great question, Bob. I would, if you're in Dallas, I would refer you to the Texas um, Institute of CPAs because they will have a nonprofit section of CPAs who are trained in that area. I recommend to all the nonprofits that even if you have some, a controller or an accountant on staff, to go ahead and find a local uh, um, firm that will certify and audit your financials to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen because Finances within nonprofits can be very loosey-goosey because you've got the regular accounting and then you have these special events that can get out of hand. And so it's really important to have the systems built in so that you can properly manage them. But also having that outside set of eyes to look at it gives you that credibility. It also makes your donors happier because they see that you've got that extra yes. accountability tied to it. And it helps prevent a lot of problems that it is, you know, when you have a bunch of volunteers, um, somebody gets trained today, well, they're not there in six months. And so that person needs the same training, but you haven't had brought that back in. So it's really important to establish systems, have them in writing and have a process that somebody um, is administratively in charge of within the organization to make sure that process is being followed. Yeah. But a lot of the big accounting firms even the regional ones will do pro bono work for nonprofits. And so I would recommend you start there and see if you can find organizations that are willing to give a little time to support the nonprofits in their area. Okay, good suggestion, thanks. That, that was um, one of the important things I took away from my early readings of Think and Grow Rich was the successful people surrounded themselves with the, the mastermind concept. They surrounded themselves with, with other successful people. Um, I think Clement Stone said, you become like the people you hang around the most. That's not exactly the quote, but that's the idea there. So um, our, our sponsor, I'm going to divert just one second. Our sponsor for the nonprofit exchange is a company called EZ Card, letter E, letter Z, letter card. And this is relevant to Bob Hopkins. There's a philanthropy misunderstood card. And what's really important for people to know is on June 27th, CenterVision is collaborating with, with uh, philanthropy kids to do a philanthropy conference. And, and Sharon, Bob has impacted uh, teenagers and children in a massive way. And so some of the teenagers are going to be teachers here. So um, th uh, this is a virtual card that you basically have in your hand, everything about the business. So if people send a text to 64600 and put in the message philanthropy, you'll have um, philanthropy misunderstood on your phone in your hand. So Bob, thank you for being here today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Jeffrey, um, who's in Richmond, Virginia, um, longtime professional fundraiser as well. Um, 
Jeffrey, do you have any, any thoughts or comments or questions for Sharon? Well, I had a comment. Thanks, Hugh. And, and Sharon, it's great to have you, have you on here. And, and hi, Bob. Um, I was going to say something about uh, something totally different than this until Sharon mentioned the auditor thing. And I, I just thought that was so good because I think back, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I think back to financial decisions we had to make. Uh, even though we had a treasurer on the board we had, or we had a CFO, of having the auditors as a resource. And a lot of people go to them when they need an audit, and then when they're done with the audit, they're done, and the next time they connect with them is, you know, nine months or a year later. And, you know, we involved ours in so many different ways in the organization. I mean, we developed a relationship with them. And they became a resource for us as we made decisions about where the organization was going, how we were financing things, different fundraising strategies, and we would use them as a consultant basically all year long. And it was a tremendous relationship. And I'm really glad, Sharon, that you mentioned how important it is to have someone like that involved in the operation. It is a great endorsement and a great resource. And, yeah, and it's, it's all about I'm, being proactive instead of reactive. Most right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a tremendous help. And I, quite frankly, don't know a lot of organizations that necessarily do that because some of the organizations I work with weren't doing it when I got there. That's Thank very you. important. It, it um, prevents so many headaches mm -hmm. when you know, and it's so important to have the right people on your team. And 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 in three feet from gold, we talk about seeking counsel, not advice. Counsel meaning you're asking the people who know the answers, have been right. there, done that, and it saves so much headache and so much frustration. And particularly in the nonprofit world, the more you can minimize frustration, the better you are, because there's lots of things going on that constantly in need of of adjustment and particularly on the financial side, as a, a nonprofit is growing or, whether, or struggling, either way, it's important to have those people that have worked with other nonprofits, that understand how other nonprofits have survived it, and even more understanding how some of them did it wrong to help you stay on the right path. It's just, it's just imperative. We are blessed with, this, with the uh, auditor staff that we have because it allows them to keep their independence, but it also allows you to keep from having issues that might be on the audit if you, didn't, if you made a stupid decision. So it's very important to be proactive on the financial side. Definitely. Thank you, Jeffrey. That was, that's a great principle. Thanks so much. Um, so Sharon, you, you've talked a little bit about communications. And one of the reasons that I like the easy card is because we can text people. We've got some coming up, boom. Everybody that's opted in, you know, we, hey, we, we, we treat it carefully um, because we don't want to pollute text like we polluted email. But it's, it's a way to say, oh, something's happened. And, and our other sponsor is Word Sprint, who publishes or prints our magazine that we publish. And what we've learned from them is it's the right message. 30% of communication for them we, we stay in touch with our donors. 30% is the right message, 30% to the right person, and 30% in a rhythm, a regular rhythm, and only 10% is the appearance. So it's tagging on what you said earlier. We need to tell people what we've done with their money. We need to tell people what impact we've had. We need to tell people what's going on. Then we ask them for money. So speak a little more about, I mean, does that make sense to you? And we're in, um, a place where communications is becoming even more critical 
So communications is misunderstood and we tend to want to send an email and think people have the whole message. So what, what, do you, what advice do you have to share with our listeners about communication? Well, I would agree with everything you said, but I would also add a, a one that says how you're communicating. What's your, what's your medium? Because um, if you have a board that are all 60 plus years of age um, using text or you know, may not be the right um, avenue, emails may be better, but phone calls might be better, right? Um, the issue is making sure that you are available to share the information and communicate in the way that people want to receive it. And that's, it's a huge change right now because there's so many, I mean, I get, it's like every day I got to check my messages on LinkedIn. I got to check my messages on Facebook. I got to check my, I mean, it just drives me nuts because I can't have my, my assistant do it. That's coming to me. So it's like, again, understanding how best people want to be communicated. But a lot of times, like we will have a regular communication system to the board on a weekly basis, kind of a, um, I, I call it a dashboard. We created a dashboard that gives me a really, really fast look at how the organization is doing that week. And, and I go, but we're not doing anything similar to all of our donors. And so let's find out how we can create a short, sweet um, story of the week or um, impact of the week so that the donors, or even monthly, right, let the donors see that they can feel proud of having supported this organization. And a lot of organizations send a thank you note for the donation and that's it. And it's so important to make sure you have this regular communication system, whether it be a newsletter, whether it be an email, whether it be a text, you know, how best to do that is something that you have to determine based on your donor base. But it's so important, like right now, with, the, with all the things that have happened over the last few months, even if you're listening to this months later, is when the, when the world changes, you need to adapt. So for instance, we talked about the book Outwinning the Devil. Until February, I always talked about in today's world, I felt the fear of criticism is the most pervasive fear there is because everybody wanted to keep up with the Joneses. They want to look good, you know, and it was like a false sense of reality that fear of criticism was really my lead when I talked about outwitting the devil. Well, as of February, that went out the window because people are afraid of death. They're afraid of financial ruin. They're afraid of being isolated. And so I had to change my communication to be relevant to what's happening today. And so many organizations don't take the time to say, am I using the right terminology to be impactful today? Am I using the right messaging that's going to get to them? Understanding that they are now looking at the world through different filters. You know, so for instance, with Child Help, all right, I'm on the National Board for Child Help. It's the largest organization for the prevention and treatment of child abuse. We've had a 31% increase in our calls to our child abuse hotline. Hmm. Kids calling saying, my only safe space is school. It breaks my heart. And yet we've had, we've lost a million dollars in events that couldn't, that had to be canceled. And so we're communicating with what's happening and the huge need we have to make sure that these children who are calling are getting the services they need so we can get the, the police on the way or the child protective services on the way to take care of these children. 
And by being honest and communicating what's happening, we're seeing those donations come in through different avenues and quite frankly, through different audiences. And so as a leader of your not-for-profit, not you have to understand what's happening in the world around you. And maybe it, you may open yourself up to a whole new audience. The power of association is so important to keep your organization thriving. Absolutely. Oh, this breaks my heart. There's just, we're in an era when the work of our nonprofits is more important than ever before in history. And it's work government can't do. And we're there, boots on the ground, doing it, activating people. So Bob's mission is to teach people that, that philanthropy is not just giving money. It's, it's being active, active in it. So um, I, um, I was a music director in megachurches for 44 years, starting when I was a wee tyke. <laughs> the last three organizations I served, churches, were in crisis when I got there. And so uh, I like to solve problems. I like to build things. Um, but just because, and I, I worked for a church that was at the top of the game at 12,000, and then a preacher died. So that was another crisis. I came in, they'd lost 200 singers in the adult choir. So, you know, because the, the guy left and they blamed the preacher for it. So there's all kind of dynamics with this fear stuff, with this people against people thing. So solving problems is a skill set that's more important today as well. And we bring value to people. Sometimes we do solve problems uh, for people. So moving forward, that's a, that's a real, that's a real uh, important piece for businesses. I mean, we, get, we make money because we solve problems. We give people value. Um, we get donations because we solve problems. What's a skill set that, that leaders need to think about? in building the problem-solving piece. You've, you've done a lot of problem-solving in your life. Well, I think the number one skill of a leader is listening. And, um, you know, so many times we assume we know what people need. Um, and I actually wrote an article earlier this week for our friend um, Jeff McGee, and it will be in, related to feedback, the importance of having that feedback system. Um, you know, effective leaders are welcome and open to feedback. Leaders who are not effective typically don't want any feedback because they think they know everything. And so within your organization, whether it's a not-for-profit or whether it is a for-profit business, do you have a system to make sure you are relevant today? Because so many of us that have been around a while, we think we know what our clients want. But I start working with somebody, I send them out a questionnaire that says, okay, what, you, what keeps you awake at night? Um, you know, what's your greatest hope? And what is your expectation? Because the biggest issue in communication and leadership is a difference between your expectation and the person on the other end's expectation. And that creates nothing but problems. And so by asking the right questions and listening to the answers, you can determine what their expectations are. And if you recognize that there's something that's off, then you can clarify it early as opposed to later. And that's the biggest issue you know, that I see in people that have donors who get up and they leave. They had an expectation that wasn't met. Wouldn't it be good to know that ahead of time so that they don't leave? so that you can understand what their expectations are. 
people serve on boards, people donate, people volunteer um, because they want to serve and they have an interest in something. And we, first of all, we're apologetic in asking people to do any of that. And we shouldn't be because people want to bring value to a cause. And so I guess part of it is being articulate at telling people where the opportunities are and why we're doing something. But the other one, which is left out most of the time, Sharon, is you're so spot on. We never ask people, we never get to know them, we never figure out what they're interested in. And either donors or board members or volunteers or anybody that surrounds us as supporters. So um, that's so critical. God gave us two ears and two eyes and one mouth. We, we listen with our eyes and our ears and people do give us clues, don't they? So what's a, what's a tip for um, improving our listening as a, musical conductor, that's an important skill I teach, of course, but, but what's there some tips for people to start sharpening those skills? Well, I think, you know, whether, whether it doesn't matter whether you're a for-profit or a not-for-profit, I mean, they really, so many of the issues are the same, but understanding, you know, a lot of marketing people want to talk about their features. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Instead of talking about the benefit to the customer or to the benefactor, right? And it's important that you focus on the benefits, not the features. You know, the benefits are you're going to see, you know, for instance, child health, we've saved 10 and a half million children, right? The benefit is that your donate 91 cents out of every dollar you donate goes to the children. The benefit is, all right, these are the benefits to the donor. And when you focus on that instead of the features, um, you're going to be talking to the heart, right? Features is bragging, right? That's to the head. That, that you're trying to sell them on something. When you talk about the benefits, I do a whole talk on do you sell or do you serve? When you sell, it's a transaction. It's a one-time thing. And when you're done, you got to find the next sale. If you serve, you're creating a relationship. And that relationship will generate a lifetime of sales. So focus on that service. And back to what you said, Hugh, um, when you know, when people say, oh, I don't like to sell, or I don't, I don't like to ask for money. I go, okay, let's take a step back. Do you believe that what you are offering is something that will benefit them as a donor or as a customer? If you believe that what you have will benefit their lives by being a donor or a customer, shame on you for not sharing it. And that's called serving. Because by giving them the opportunity to participate, you are benefiting your organization, but you're also giving them the opportunity to participate. You're serving them. So you change the, your mindset and your terminology from one of sales or ask to one of service and focusing on the benefits, not the features. Oh, that was worth tuning in this whole show for. It's so <laughs> you may or may not know, but um, Jeff and I are co-publishers of Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. Did you know that? So um, you're going to be getting an email from Sandy, our, our acquisitions editor, about sharing some of this. And uh, we need to expand our, our philanthropy. Um, there's a picture of that from that one uh, from Cal Turner. Cal Turner went to his, his um, leadership in Dollar General, and he said, I got this job of president and CEO because I'm the son, of, the founder of the son. I'm the son of the founder, runway. <laughs> and I, you got the skills, I got the vision, so I need you. So he 
he said, I'm, I'm going to let you do it. And they stepped up. Everybody stepped up. And he said, Hugh, leadership is about defining your gaps and finding really good people to fill those gaps. And sometimes, Sharon, I find so many leaders think, we got to have all the right answers because I'm the leader. Well, I think it's important to have the right questions and then listen for the answers. What do you think? Well, and I think as a leader, if you think you need to be the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble already. Um, you know, in Three Feet for Goal, we talk about asking for counsel, not for advice. And that's, you know, what we were just talking about with the auditors. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to pay somebody full time to be on staff that has the depth of experience that these auditors do, but I want them on my phone so I can call them to ask them specific questions. And it's like, do you have that same opportunity to, do you have a Rolodex that can support you in making those major decisions, power of the mastermind, having people that are, have been where you want to go, the, the incredibly importance of having mentors, mentors and advisors. It will speed your way to success. In the world we live in today, when success is demanded overnight, you need to have every, every tool in your toolbox. And the biggest tool you can have is a mentor who's been where you want to go and they have the experience and they can open the doors for you. And I always tell people, a coach is not a mentor. There's two different things. A coach keeps you accountable to a predetermined path. They're very important. I'm a lousy coach. I need a coach. I'm a fantastic mentor. A mentor will open their Rolodex, will step into your world to help steer you around pitfalls, help you speed your way to success. They see, they see opportunities that you haven't even identified yet. That's the power of a mentor. And the, the stats are proven. People that have mentors are more profitable than those who do not. Amen. The people that are successive have a mentor and a coach. And the people who are yes. going to be successful are going to figure it out themselves. So we got about three minutes here before we go on the closing sequence. But you mentioned mastermind. Explain a little bit about uh, that's that's a principle from Think and Grow Rich. What how is that useful? How is it different from the mentor you just dis described? Well, it's it, think, well, there's different types of masterminds. But in the given the time, is having a mastermind with peer groups, peer people that are maybe in different organizations that when you face a problem, they've already faced it and they can help you get there. It's a group of people determined to support one another and they have a, a method of doing that. They have a system they use, but it's one plus one's 11, not two. It's exponential results as Napoleon Hill says, you bring the brain power and the experience and the years of education and experience together, you have astronomical results. It's having that ability to, to have peer mentoring to support you. Now the mastermind can also be a mastermind for your health. Maybe a group gets together, they're gonna to keep each other accountable. There's different types of masterminds, but the one I'm talking about from a business perspective is you have your mentors, you have your advisors, and then you have a peer group of mentors who are in some, maybe different industries, but they're all facing similar issues. And people sometimes think, oh, I made it, I don't have to do that. But look at the Fortune 500 companies. The original 500 is what, 50, 52, 53 that are still there. I mean, they were at the top of their game and they didn't think they needed anything. So nobody's exempt from having to continue to uh, go for accountability and have some input from others. Is there anything I didn't ask you so far that you want to share with, with people? I'm going to talk about you have a free uh, set of free gifts for people, but anything else that you I didn't ask you so far? Well, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, I, one of my, you're the CEO of your own life. And 
yes, we want to be successful in our business world, but part of that success also comes from your heart. And the way to have a successful heart is to be philanthropic, whether you can write big checks or whether you can give time. And so many times um, you get, you get, you receive so much more than you give. And so um, philanthropy, you know, it's a hard word to pronounce. It's a hard word to spell. It is not a hard thing to do. And every one of us has the opportunity to be philanthropic um, from helping a neighbor to participating on a board and myriad of opportunities in between. And, um, and just in your own neighborhood, there's probably a few organizations that you can support and never before more important than today to be able to support um, our communities in, in getting through what we're doing, going through right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna talk about our sponsor a minute and then talk about your free gifts and then there's any, anything you wanna challenge people with as we leave. Um, um, whoops, I forgot to, uh, if you're watching the video, I'm gonna share the easy card for Center Vision Leadership Foundation. They're one of our sponsors. And you can look on the easy card and you can see the magazine. You can actually read the magazine online here. You can flip through and you can actually look at the nonprofit exchange. And lo and behold, here's Sharon Lecter. Uh, and so a little bit later, you'll, you'll you click on this. Actually, you'll see the live broadcast if you do, if you click on there. So this is a community of nonprofit leaders. So this is a private community where you have peer to peer exchange of ideas and support. And there's people like you all around the country that are facing challenges. Maybe somebody has some good ideas and they're not your coach, but they're your peer. And it's sort of like a, a, a type of mastermind. And we do have live sessions uh, every week, Q&A with you. So here's how you get it. That same number, 64600, you send a text to 64600 and you put in the message is LDR, short for leader. And then you'll get the text and you click on this. And so we want to, there's a link in the, uh, on the webpage at the nonprofit exchange.org. And it'll be on the podcast and as well, it'll be in the copy there. But uh, there's a link that Sharon has shared with us. It's gifts.sharonlector, L-E-C-H-T-E-R, S-H-A-R-O-N, L-E-C-H-T-E-R.com. So it's gifts.sharonlector.com forward slash and the number four and the word gifts, G-I-F-T-S, four gifts. Now Sharon, when they go there, and it, this will be in print in the, on the page, what will they find when they go there? Well, you, there are four free gifts there. And um, there are things that, the first one is overcoming obstacles. It kind of talks a little bit more about outwitting the devil and helps you pick, figure out how to, really find that definiteness of purpose to get your, yourself back on track. There's one about you and your money and talks about a few lessons about your credit, um, your financial situation and things that you can do today to help yourself prepare and, and prevent another problem in the future. And then there's a, a, a link to my podcast, Hugh, called the Play Big Movement Podcast with Sharon Lecter and it's free. And we just want to support you in any way we can to, to really find the next best thing in your life and get there. So what do you hope people do as a result of this today? What do you think they should do? Well, next? I'm going to challenge everybody. I like the word challenge because you know, the personal success equation, which I share on three feet from gold, is your passion and your talent, finding the right associations, 
um, taking the right action and having faith in yourself. And a lot of those we talked about today, but so many times, and Hugh, I'm sure you're going to agree with this. We, you know, we, we speak to 500 people and maybe, maybe 50 people will take an action. And it's like, are you one of those 50 or are you one of the 450? The sitting back and letting you just being reactive. I challenge you to be proactive. There's nothing to lose. It's not going to cost you any money. Take action, sign, you know, go to my website and get the free gifts because you know what? There might be that one thing, that one idea, that one concept that can change the, your life forever in a positive way. And you know, that's why I do what I do. My joy today is seeing other people succeed because of something that I shared or talked about. Because we've been there, done that, Hugh and I both. And we do what we do because we love helping others. Oh, so well put. Sharon, you are a gift. So thank you for being on the Nonprofit Exchange today. My pleasure. And thank you so much. Okay. We got This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>